Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Ryan Stacy, private investigator, citizen journalist, and active Canadian disclosure ufologist. He is also a private paranormal psychogenic investigator, creator of the Ultra Spectrum Classification System, and founder of the Experiencer Support Association. Ryan, thank you so much for being my guest today and welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, let's just start from the beginning. How did you get involved with UFOs and bridging the gap between UFOs, the paranormal, and psychogenic communities? Good question. This is always the question, and <laughs> it's the, the the longest question, and the one I always always worry about, but it's important. Um, so I I started, and I've told it so many times, but it, it essentially I I started off as a PI into the, in the paranormal as well. I, I enjoy paranormal. I've always been a paranormal person. I am still a paranormal person. Um, however, I've been spending a lot of time with UFOs. So I had received a case on a missing persons uh, and someone had believed that their, their son was abducted by aliens. Um, and when I was able to locate them, I ended up learning they had just joined Scientology. So in the same spectrum, the same skin, you know, kind of organization or of things, but uh, it wasn't quite alien abduction. So in order to find this person, I was, I had to join these community groups and uh, within those community groups, um, I stayed in them because I liked the paranormal stuff and I started to meet all these other things. Then eventually somebody piped up uh, about uh, a, a manual that they uh, they purchased and they didn't get right away, which happened to be the MUFON manual. And they were complaining because they paid for it and they didn't get it. So I mediated with that. Uh, and by mediating with that, I ended up learning that there's a Canadian division, so MUFON Canada. And I spoke to uh, an individual named Stu Bundy, uh, who was the director at the time, uh, and cleared that up. It was just a shipping error because we have to pay the states, and then the states have to ship it to Canada. So there's a little bit of uh, some logistics there. Um, and then we just started talking. So he's like, you do this for real? For you know?" I was like, yeah, every day. You know? And he's like, are you interested in investigating UFOs? And I always say, you know, aren't those machines uh, mm -hmm. that the government are hiding? And we had a laugh, and then I, I started, and I still think that today. Uh, with all the stuff that I've done, but, uh, the, um, uh, so then that kind of like skyrocketed into like a series of investigations. So I did one case that opened up, I got promoted throughout the ranks, went through a uh, provincial director, uh, and then eventually the, uh, director of investigations for Ontario. And then I was the national chief investigator for move on Canada. Then I assisted in the MUFON national side, international side, where I was the field director, director of field investigator training. So I was responsible for teaching all the field investigators how to investigate um, UFO settings. So when I was there, I kind of got caught in an ethical issue um, in terms of uh, people volunteering information to me because they knew I was a private investigator about um, some bad things that was going on uh, with, the, uh, with Jan Harzan. 
So I had an obligation to make a report and made a report, which later on uh, led to his arrest. And in something like that, um, I spent a lot of time uh, being hated and pushed out of the organization for that because it was it was private. It couldn't be confirmed. I've just recently started telling everybody that that, that I've done that because I feel like it helps the people understand why MUFON treated me the way that they did because they couldn't really prove it. And then become this this ethical thing where, you know, it's one bad person made a really bad mistake. And unfortunately, the entire organization had to suffer for it. Who were you talking about and what kind of trouble did they get into? Just 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 look up uh, move on and um, California police and then you'll 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 have it all figured out. I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> I but anyways, so so I got involved in that because because uh, information was volunteered to me and I had a duty of care being a licensed private investigator to make a report to the authorities and then and then I ended up getting uh, pushed out of move on. So outside of that, what I, I, I spent a great deal of time trying to figure out how I could continue helping people. And uh, I, I created the Experience Your Support Association out of that. Um, many different uh, things have happened to to enlighten that and push that, but there was an opportunity there. Um, I end up having, you know, a, a epiphany or some sort of a uh, what we're calling a psychogenic or download experience, where I had a vision of some interesting geo and geometric shape that kind of I've been working on and studying with a few a uh, few close colleagues there to try to understand um what it means but with that and reflecting on that it came the the idea or the letters to esa which eventually became the experience or support association and that had basically been built in order to put experiencers first so the and i I, and it's hard to talk about how i how I started because I started in a really good place and then it got really bad. And then I took that bad and turned it into something good. And then in order to explain it, I got to talk about the bad all the time in order to make sense. But like, I essentially took all that, all those problems that, that existed within the organization and created the positive, created something that everyone wanted or what everybody at the time um, thought MUFON could do or was capable of, but didn't know none the wiser that they weren't interested in helping or doing anything to that effect. So taking that negative energy and transmuting that into a positive environment, you know, that's, that was the idea of the Experience Support Association. So we want the experiencers to feel like they matter. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and what's important uh, to say is that like, I have a lot of, uh, um, I've investigated a lot of cases in, in my career and, and I wouldn't be here to, to talk about it if, if it wasn't for them. And I, and move on as, as, uh, you know, I try to avoid this subject, but I mean, I'm still grateful for the opportunity because that's what allowed me to meet these people and do all these other things. And I hope I get to a point where I can explain my backstory without saying all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, is, is it's about giving back to the people that, that give the current people that are in the limelight, the opportunity to write these books and go on TV and do these things and talk about them because there are some experiencers that need that non-anonymity and have people speak for them, but there are some that would rather speak for themselves and they need that little bit of protection. Mm -hmm. And it's challenging because as a private investigator, like a lot of people I've learned and I won't expose any of that, but there is a lot of people in this industry that use fake names and that's so they can't be held accountable and be traced. It can still be found. It's just, uh, it's just 
when you have a fake name and then you have fake experiences and stories, it just, it makes it really hard to, for me to look at that objectively. And it's, and, and I don't want to say it's all garbage, but to me as an investigator, it's not useful evidence. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and, and I've had a really hard time trying to understand how it all works business-wise, because I understand that's a business and an industry and things like that as well, but to, to understand and separate how much of that is business and how much of that is reality and how much of that is actually, you know, genuine intent. And in the middle of that, the experiencers don't know anything. They, they've experienced something and they're looking upon these people and myself included for answers. And, and, and I never wanted to be an influencer. I only became an influencer because I was trying to survive after MUFON ghosted me for, for, for doing the right thing. Uh, you know, and, and, and so now I've kind of set this example and I've been making a lot of mistakes recently and things like that, because I really don't know how to be, uh, you know, this person that all these people are, 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 are seeing me as, and it's, and it's tough because they, they think I know the answers and, and they want, and I don't know what to tell them. And with all the investigations that I've done and all the people I've looked into to determine whether they're telling the truth or not, or what they know and all this uh, credentials and things to see if they're qualified, I know absolutely nothing. Well, and that disappoints me. <laughs> let me stop you here. Yeah. As a private investigator, can you give us some examples of the most credible evidence you have seen of UFOs? What is the most credible and what have you seen? What type of evidence are we looking at? I mean, we're talking nuts and bolts crafts. We're talking whatever you think in your investigative mind is the most credible. So, yeah, that's a good question because I look at it in terms of evidence. So I'm an evidence, uh, evidence specialist in terms of that. I've created a classification system that's based on the best evidence. So there's lots of it. I always ask evidence of what? Because a lot of people say, I have evidence. Well, yes, evidence of what and what kind. So there is a lot of hearsay evidence. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence, whereas like because this happened, this this means this happened, or this happened to this person, it happened to me, therefore. So there's a lot of that. What we have very minimal of, um, which is better, is analogical evidence, which is drawings or or memory, something that's left behind, some residual kind of uh, um, stuff that that can be can be explained or or, or provided or some after effect. Um, and then we have very few, some documentative evidence, which is, uh, you know, those pictures and those videos. Now, with, with those, those would be the best evidence in terms of that, because it can be measured if we're able to get the actual original um, file, because what a lot of people like to do is they like to take it and then edit it and then post it and then, you know, project and then assume and put all that stuff out there. And then it gets into social media and then it goes all over the place. And then by the time I get tagged into it or I see it, I'm like, Hey, do you have the original photo? Oh no, I got rid of it years ago. And I was like, well, I can't, that's been now, now that's that good piece of evidence is now bad evidence because it's, it's, it's been, it hasn't been handled properly. So there, and, um, and you can go one step further and you get, uh, you can get documentation. So like uh, declassified documents. So that would be for me in this moment, the best evidence because it has, it's a government source that's talking about the subject. 
Um, and um, it's whether or not a question of your, you can trust your government to be telling you the truth about what's being observed. So on that logic, the best evidence that could ever exist right now are those three videos that have, have surfaced uh, and, and that are still being scrutinized and questioned uh, daily. Uh, um, and since the Pentagon has neither confirmed or denied, you know, it's, it's, that has to be the best piece of evidence for, uh, for the phenomenon. Now, could it be, you know, military? Could it be something like that? Once we, once that becomes a known, then that closes the door. And then if that becomes an, if it remains an unknown, there's still people speculating, thinking that that unknown means, means UFOs, means aliens, means extraterrestrial, means all these other things. And, and so I have a really hard time with it because it's not really evidence of anything. It's just evidence of an event it's evidence of uh, a data breach, meaning that the government wasn't able to control this information well enough that it was able to get out to the public. So that's evidence of a bad business uh, model, if you look at it that way. Um, and, and, and so, but it's an evidence of an event. It's an authenticated video, according to the Pentagon. I've yet to see the original video, so I can't verify that it's authentic personally. But because it's been, you know, vetted by government sources, there's a little bit of trust um, that goes in that they've done their due diligence. However, we all, you know, pick your pick your favorite, uh, you know, politician and decide whether you know you can how far you can like them and, and not like them. It's challenging. Mm-hmm. So um, this is a great question because I've never ever went down this rabbit hole. So I appreciate this. So when I when I get into the declassified documents here in Canada, so I'm Canadian. And, um, and we have a totally different view on, on, on this as well, but, uh, I'm able, I'm able to see evidence of people looking into it, people investigating it. So the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Air Force are looking into it and they're not ignoring it. But then what happens is, is once we get it, all the information, what we have to do is create what's called a, um, a service document, uh, communications for, vital intelligence or something like I can't remember what the acronym is, but essentially once we get all the information from our people, we have to send that over uh, through that special document to NORAD, which then gets taken over by the United States and the United States will continue from there. So, so, so our position, that's it in a nutshell. So our, our position really is we look, we, we have them too. We're looking into them and then they get transferred over. So if you guys get disclosure, we get disclosure but our government has declassified uh, UFO documents in 1994, 1995, like over close to 10,000 that a lot of people have talked about. A lot of people have written books about. A lot of people have uh, showed a document here or two, but no one has actually investigated. And what I mean by that is, is we have scientists, we have researchers, we have journalists, we have radio people, radio broadcasters, podcasters, we have all these people talking about the idea, but, and the evidence has already been disclosed. So disclosure has happened. And then, and then, but confirmation is kind of like what we're looking for uh, in terms of that, which I believed until recently. Um, so confirmation, which is trying to confirm that these documents mean, uh, you know, this or extraterrestrial or UFOs or whatever that, that that case may be. There still is no answer for that because why? They released the information. So the answers are in there. Mm-hmm. So if you look through them properly, you will find the answers that you're looking for because it's already there. 
However, no one's ever done that because then they write a book and they talk about it and they project their opinions on it. That's still opinionated evidence. You get a journalist who releases a, a declassified document. I'm scrolling through that, looking to see if that's useful. That's it. I don't care about the story. I care about the document because that document leads me through other things when it leads me to people, leads me to locations, gives me associations. And, and what's, and, and the thing is with the declassified process is not every, every time you do a request, it gets to the same analyst and not the same. And, and, and the same criteria for redacting is never the same, depending on what information is in the document. So if you're tracking them all, there might be something redacted in one, but it was not redacted in the other. And therefore there might be some similarities and patterns where you can assume that what's underneath this one redacted is the same because the pattern exists when you're measuring patterns, that's an investigation. So confirmation will come through the investigation, but nobody's doing that. But I, what I think what people are doing right now is there's a lot of belief and a lot of knowing through this experience or testimony that, that, that something has happened. They may not understand it. So what they're fighting for uh, is not confirmation. I think they're fighting for a confession. Mm -hmm. And, and I think we're at the point uh, now where we know, and we know, you know, is a hashtag I use uh, for my disclosure movement. So we know, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and we want, and I think it would be easier if they just confessed and say, yeah, we, we knew we kept it from you for this long, or we don't know anything about it. We're trying to protect you. I think that will go a long way because the evidence shows the government will protect assets. The government will keep secrets because they need to protect their country. They need to protect our people. There's lots of legitimate reasons for them to be quiet about it, mm-hmm. even if it's a human origin, right? Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's a, if it's the one thing that's going to protect us against the adversaries and it, and, 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 and they just happen to be testing it out in, out in the water and, and so far away where no one else could see it. And then somebody just happened to get their cell phone out and, and done something illegal. And then now it became this big thing. Then that would make sense why they're addressing it the way they're addressing it, because they have to, what happens moving forward is what we need to see because they could tell us more, or they could also have the same justification to shut it down because they just learned where their flaws were and there's an opportunity for them to to budget and to fix so so it's it's interesting because to me when i look at that video on its own i'm not really seeing any woo it 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 does appear to be with the story and the speculation and the eyewitness testimony and all this other stuff from Fravor and, and Dietrich and stuff. And, and like, I'm understanding and I'm tracking that, but I mean, uh, as an investigator looking into their character too, they're weird people as well. So like, I mean, there's money involved. Earlier you mentioned about the business of UFOs and what I want to ask you as an investigator, I, I'm sure it's impossible, but if you can give me percentages, what percentages do you feel are real UFO accounts, what percentage do you think are just people in the business of UFO making stuff up to make money? And what percentage are people who are doing it just to be famous? Well, there's lots of categories because we have people who, who are, um, or messengers. So I would say the radio or podcasts like that share, they have an experience and they talk about that too. And then we have researchers and we have scientists and we have, we don't have any investigators. So I'm the only one, as far as I know, anyways, um, it's hard because there's different perspectives. So I would say that everyone that's currently involved is financially benefiting from it. 
And, and that's primarily because they started with nothing and they've been building up and they've been doing it for a long time and they've, been, they've acquired it and they should be entitled to because they've been, it's not their fault that people are paying for it. If people want to give their money to them and then they do and it's, it's up to them to be satisfied with the result when they make that purchase. So there shouldn't be anything wrong with paying for, um, I guess, infotainment is, is the term that they're using, but it's not regulated. So and 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 i know i share this i always worry about telling my background story even though i don't want to say it again i do have to be mindful that maybe some people don't know who i am so i should tell it every time so 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 i, I kind of get how there's these circles are small but sometimes these circles start to get intertwined and then but somebody listening to one person isn't going to know because it might be a message that they needed to hear that day so even if they are using a pseudonym or a pen name and they're hiding behind it and, and they are um, trying to relate by saying they're an experiencer, it's helping other experiencers live with it. So I don't have a challenge with that. Excuse me. Um, the, the, because I do it as well. And I'd like to make money for a living. I'd like to do this full time as well, but it, it's honest money. It, it's how it's earned as well. So as far as percentage goes, I would say 100% myself included uh, is, is it can financially um, um, can receive financial compensation for the work that they do. Does it equate to the amount of effort that they put up? I don't think so. So, so, so like, we're never going to make, um, as much money, um, as hours as we put into it. So there's, there's that, that degree of fair. Now we do, if we look at a tighter category, I don't want to use names, but I mean, those who are on television, those who are on regular contracts that have been doing the same series and the same shows for a long time. Those are, those are progressive income. Those are re, uh, repeated income. So there's dependable income. So they start to do the same patterns, do the same show, the same circle, and, and they do the same thing every world, every year within that network as we get to symposiums. So that way that lifestyle can continue because you get used to making said amount of money so the problem that we get into right now is that we're at this bracket where these people are should be retiring or um like here in canada all our ufologists have passed away so so like i mean i'm 35 uh i got i got many years to go and i'm starting scratching the surf starting a little bit late here but i, I got enough you know uh, uh enough to keep me going in this new direction but I mean, everyone is is just trying to keep the money coming in because they're going to retire. So there's opportunity for them to lie. There's opportunity for them to massage it. There's opportunity for them just to, to take in the cash and 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 then retire off of it. I've been involved recently with a bunch of uh, you know people in the small circles and social media who who actively uh, try to prove uh, some of these people to be uh, not telling the truth anymore, which is difficult because if you if you prove that they've done something wrong now it kind of means or suggests that they've done something wrong this entire time but that's not always true and 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 so we're in this generational shift so for me knowing that in my research and understanding the i take that so I can project the next 50 years and try to avoid those pitfalls. And that's another reason why I'm putting the experiencer uh, in, in um, 
in the limelight here because because it's they can drive it they can we can make sure we do what they need and what they tailor in order to get disclosure and that's where the research kind of comes into so as far as me being able to verify like like experiencers don't profit off of this so i can tell you that in my in my 2000 uh, 2019 to 2020 data set for my ultra spectrum paranormal report, which is my second report that I'm working on right now. There's 134 cases that I've closed. Only 30 of them are cases that I can't explain. So, and, and that's me talking to experts that I know and that I'm aware of. So these experiencers, um, they will profit from this because I will give them a copy of the book and, and they gain something for it and they get a recreation video. So we recreate the event and, and show them like kind of walk through. So it's kind of, we do this thing called test is most wanted so people can see it and be like, Hey, did you see this? So you can report to so and get more data. So they do get some value out of it from us. It's not money, but we're still giving them more back. We're giving them a copy of the report. We're adding them to the book. Uh, we're giving them recognition. We give them an ID number. So that way they know what their number is. They can remain anonymous, uh, but at least they can feel part of a bigger circle. And then, so, but then there's individuals like me who, who would then again, receive profit off of that book because I'm, I'm pushing the narrative of the science and the research. So, so there's, there has to be this understanding with the entire team that, that everyone is getting what, what, you know, what is fair and what is just all the way along the line. So that way you get that return customer in terms of return experiencers, because once you handle them properly and they feel good, then they're going to report to you again. And the other things that I'm experiencing now in this industry, and a lot of it through my research is because we have an opportunity on our reporting system for you to tell us how you found us. And then if you reported elsewhere, whether you were satisfied or not. So there's kind of a hidden uh, um, marketing kind of uh, survey in there. And, and what I'm getting and what I'm hearing is majority of the time is the people that they're using or calling to that are on TV right now are not doing what they want them to do and they're not helping them at all. So that's a problem on its own. So there's that that there's that idea of what it should be on TV. That doesn't mean they're bad. It's just it's been going on the same way for so long. UFOs are now in the and uh, now in the uh, you know in the news. Everyone's talking about. It. Everyone's doing clickbait on it because it's it's easy money. Um, and everyone that's in ufology is just writing a book because of, uh, because of the, where we are in life right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, that's it. No one is doing what I'm doing. Before we started, we were talking a little bit about soft disclosure and mm -hmm. in one venue is through video games. Can you tell yeah. a little bit more about video games and other ways that soft disclosure is occurring? Yeah. So I... I, uh, this started with you noticing my gamer chair here back here. So yes, if I'm a gamer, I do, I do play the occasional video game here and there, but I don't, I don't play my games here in this chair. This, I just spent a lot of time, uh, up here. So I just got myself a nice chair, but, um, I've noticed their movies, uh, you know, the Marvel movies and DC movies, you know, pick your favorite, you know, those are kind of conditioning and soft disclosure, as you say, to like some technologies or some, uh, some religions, some races. So, so, you know, some, some, some things that are going on that kind of seem to make sense. Uh, even with the recent Ghostbusters, like that was talking about Sumerians and, 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 and like, there's a lot of history in there that, that could make sense, but because it's a movie, they get away with, 
it being a movie. And then, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, Steven Spielberg, uh, Heineck was in there, you know, a, a, a helping it with as well. And, and the story is, is it's a real story that just changed the location. Um, but still Hollywood. So even if if that that little tidbit could be a lie, but it could also be true. So it's it's a good platform um, to do that to that audience now with kids these days who are now playing video games. And yeah, I think the conditioning can happen there as well. Um, I'm a huge Assassin's Creed fan. I, I'm currently playing uh, Val, uh, Valhalla for Assassin's Creed. And the amount of detail that they put into uh, accepting all faiths and all religions and all beliefs and all systems while they, you know, uh, there's even Masonic and, and Templar, you know, uh, thrown in there and these battles between religions and things like that. As you move through the ages, you learn about the history and you learn about all these other things. But then there's what they call first world tech or, or um, yeah. Yeah, first world tech. So which alludes to like the Bible and the Eden and all this other stuff and all this technology that existed in Atlantis and all this other stuff. So it kind of connects it back. It always connects it back to the to the ancient. So it 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 is conditioning us in a way that's kind of showing and with with Ubisoft right now, like I mean it, with Valhalla, I just started it, but it's it's for focusing on North uh, Norse mythology, which is around also with the Aurora Borealis, which is in, and then we're getting into Aboriginal and then we're getting into really close to, I think they're going to kind of tap into the whole um, center of the earth or flat earth kind of, uh, you know, uh, it's again, part of the religion that they're trying to include everyone, but it's starting to get into this more recent times, which is like Tartarian and mudslides and things like that, that seem to be really close and, and, and recent to what we're experiencing right now. And, and it just seems too close to home because it feels it's a video game that was created, but yet when you play it, sometimes it feels real. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so it's, 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 it's hard because we look at the metaverse, we look at how technology is changing, where we're going into the direction we're heading simulations, those idea of us being in the matrix and things like that because we have these creative elements there's opportunity for us to put in these things to see how people react because if disclosure is going to happen on a global scale where where um we all need to come together with unity um we need things need to happen in order for us to see how we would respond um, you know, if you look at like a Canada right now, we're, we're in the middle of something, uh, you know, in Ottawa and good or bad, that's just simply because this, this, this thing has happened for a long time, uh, and, and, uh, and people have had enough. So whether or not that was intended or, or a consequence to it's, it's an experiment because like everything is, everything is unraveling. Mm -hmm. So the thing that concerns me about things like that is if disclosure of extraterrestrials and aliens is on the table, when we do things like that, it shows on a larger scale that maybe on an even larger scale scale, we're not ready to understand that. And, and if we're not ready to understand that as a whole, and this is how we're responding to a command, whether you believe it or not for the betterment of everybody else, how are we going to collectively on a whole uh, accept the fact that, every religion that we thought of doesn't exist anymore who is doing the disclosing is it governments or is it the actual aliens themselves 
<sighs> it could be both. I mean, what is it? So alien, you know, extraterrestrial simply just means something in another like extra part of the land. So there's no clarification on whether or not that's in another place on this planet just outside of, uh, you know, what we are, what we call the known world, what we know, or, or in outer space. And the outer space could be simply something outside of what we know of, because we can only travel so many places, so many, you know, one person can only travel. So there's so many humanistic elements that exist that could point the finger to it being the government, i.e. human beings. Um, Maybe there's an extra layer of control with extraterrestrials, but then there would have to be a location for them to be to manage, and then there would have to be people in on it. I mean, like, like I mean, it would have to go deep enough that even our political leaders uh, don't even know about it. So that's where this idea of shadow governments and things like that. So it's possible. But then anything is possible. And that's why I investigate everything within the phenomenon and and the people that are affected by it so we can understand why they are the way that they are so we can understand how we can get to where we need to be and um i don't know it's tough because i don't know it's tough well what about this you're canadian and i believe there was a canadian defense minister or something that came out and gave a bunch of information about ufos what is your opinion on that yeah, so Paul Hellyer, um, he was the ex-minister of defense. Um, he was the, I want to say, successor of uh, Wilbert B. Smith. I think that's the one after, if I'm using that word right. Um, and for the Ministry of Transport. And yeah, I actually have declassified documents uh, uh, um, from him that uh, I got from the Canadian Space Agency, uh, which I haven't gone through yet, but that's uh, of him uh, pushing for... Uh, the existence of extraterrestrials and he does believe that he uh, uh, he has seen that accordingly according to his testimony um he has passed unfortunately i met him a couple times uh in passing with uh just at expos and things like that too and i mean it's tough because he's a guy who's in government who had a very high up position who was the next the one that took over for the guy who started Project Magnet. So Project Magnet would be the equivalent of Project Blue Book. So essentially the same thing in the Cold War, same same time, uh, just different country, different name. So Project Paperclip for you was Project Matchbook for us. Uh, Project um, Second Story, I think, is the equivalent to the Condon Report for you guys in the USA. So like these things were happening simultaneously at the same time here in Canada. Um, and then Paul Hellyer was the guy that took over for him after that. So, so, and then he comes out with all this other stuff. So there's this huge backstory that could support that what he's saying is, is factual and true. Uh, he is uh, an honorable guy. Uh, I mean, a serviceman and he volunteered in uh, a lot of service groups in his entire life, which I, you know, I find it very hard to believe for a person like that with that kind of life to make something like that up. Um, if I look at his character, but it's still possible. Um, when I review the files and things like that too, then I'll be able to associate um, and, and figure out what's true and what's not true. And the reason why I haven't done that yet is because I'm building my website. Um, so I'm able to show you my work because a lot of people, um, and I don't blame them. I'm a private investigator. I work privately. I don't show my work 
and I talk for many, many years about doing stuff and you never see it. So, so, so I, I'm kind of working in a way that I can show you my work so you can actually see what I'm talking about and understand so you can help. And then part of, part of that website will allow me to share that, those, those declassified documents in the way that I want to do it. Grant Cameron has also gifted me um, some of Stanton Freeman's files when he passed. So I do, I am sitting on some very important, significant documents that, that could very well help. Um, that came from some very good, credible people. Um, but I'm not looking, I'm not, I'm not looking at the phenomenon the same way. I'm an investigator. I'm always looking for who I'm looking for what I'm looking to why, and I need to determine if, uh, if a crime has been committed. So whenever I get a case, uh, for say infidelity, uh, you know, a cheating husband or wife, um, I need to establish first that there's the, the motive and intent behind the request. I can't just I, like I, I could take their money and 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 do the job, but it's unethical. And a, I need to justify my if I need to do any searches. So I have a license, so I have to justify uh, my reason for these searches, and I have to provide my license number. So that way, if it ever you know it ever got messy, then, then I have to I have to show my work. So getting the information and and sharing that information, I have to be considerate of 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 what the client would do with the information when they have it. So I have that duty of care of, of just establishing at the beginning that there's no harm that's going to come out of it. But then at the end, okay, I, I, it determines that your suspicions are true and your, your wife and or husband has been cheating on you. If I give you this address, what are you going to do with it? Because they paid for it, right? And if I don't give them what they paid for, I don't get paid. I do all this work for nothing. So that's challenging because if they say something like, Hey, you know, I'm going to beat the living hell out of them. Well, okay, I'm not going to give it to you. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to call the police now, you know, like, I mean, like, so there's these things uh, that kind of go with it. So investigating. So me sitting on these documents too, some of them have personal information, so they need to be redacted and things like that too. Um, and, and, but by putting it out on the internet, people will take it, they'll share it, they'll repackage it, they'll talk about it, they'll misinterpret it. So, so, and I'm trying to avoid that. So when I put these documents on there, I want to make sure that A, they're watermarked, so that way we know which ones came from us. So that way we can, we can control the proper narrative in which we put out to make sure it's, it's, it's not speculated, speculative on. Um, B, I want to be able to take the data from, from these reports and, and split it up into several ways. So I want to, I want to isolate the who, uh, I want to put, we have a visual evidence database. So I, I want to put where the event happened according to the document, uh, and what was described, recreate that, put all this evidence together so it can be measured in proximity. I want to put it in a timeline so we can measure it in time and then associations, we can measure who was involved. And if I do that with every single document, while this starts circulating, everyone writes their stuff about it, you can come back to the website and you can see everything mapped out and you can see the whole picture. And, and if you're able to see, if I get a document, cause sometimes I get a document from 1952 and then I, and like, this is something recently uh, I've discovered a couple of documents from 1952, um, from Canada and I read them. And then at the end, it refers to another document. Well, I don't have that document. It's in 1967. I kind of find it, but it doesn't exist. So the next one's in 1980. So I got to timeline it and I got to figure out, you know, in between to figure out where I can get that document because it mentions it. So there's more evidence that needs to be found. Mm -hmm. But if I do what everyone else is doing, such as as soon as I get it, put it on the internet and have it circulate so I can get likes and followers and clickbait and make some money off of my, uh, off of my uh, journalism, 
that's great for, for creating awareness, but it's not great for investigating and it's not helping the cause and it's not helping the people understand um, what it is. And then you do get some journalists that take the time to write a story and get some information and you get some uh, facts from some of the people that are involved, but then they don't want to be named. So then you're using an anonymous source. And the problem with that is that anonymous source could be you. So, so it's, it's challenging to take that even credible. So there's a lot of work that goes in um, to get the story out on the journalistic side of things. And that's why money has to be the main reason. So there may still be um, intent, positive and, 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 and um, heroic intent on pushing this movement forward. But money is the reason why they're doing it because they're yeah. going to get compensated for something out of it. So how do I get compensated for out of this? Well, this I have a lot of experiencers uh, that are close to me, myself being an experiencer uh, of something. I still don't know what it is, and, I, and I'm not going to subscribe to one theory. It could be ET. It could be myself. It could be it could be a, a could have just been smoking too much weed that day. I don't know. You know, like there's lots of things that could make sense to it, but there's associations of facts that kind of go on later on. Mm -hmm. And, and like, and if I do that and I'm able to at least reprogram or regulate the thought process of the stuff that people already know, so they can actually look at it objectively, then we're going to remove this fluff and we're going to, and we're going to stop kind of almost like um, cognitive behavioral therapy, like in the sense of once your mind goes off, you need to check to see if you have all the information, come back, dial it down and see what's actually true and possible and, and then move from there. So there's a lot of things that need to be done. So I'm not able to help the entire world this way. But if I do it this way, even with a small sample, I always believe that it just one person has to find the answer. And if I'm able to find the answer through this method, then, then that's great because, um, uh, you guys could benefit from it. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm not involved in the American game of, of UFOs. I'm involved in Canada because it's overlooked. No one's doing anything with it. And it's quite possible because of a relationship with nations that we might have the answers that could help you solve your, uh, solve your answers to your questions, because, Ours isn't redacted as, as tough as yours is. And our information is easy to acquire, not as difficult as yours is. But yet we have to pass information on to you. So, you know, at this preliminary stage, if you look at it this way, it would help. But I don't have time to write a write a, a journal. I don't have time to write a book, I guess. So so what I'm trying to get into into a point is knowing and predicting the behavior of the people. And knowing that if I put it on the internet, they're going to take it. It's going to go wild. It's going to spread like wildfire, which is why I watermark it, because then my name goes with it. But then at the same time, I'm able to get these documents out quick and fast, but it's in the system. So that way, when you come back to the website, you see how this report matters to and how it connects to all these other ones. And then you can connect the dots and actually see what's true. And what I've seen so far in my small sample that I've done with Canadian documents um, is they put the pin on, on Germany, it being German, German craft, uh, and, and Germany is talking to Canada because they don't want to talk to the United States because they, they want, you know, they don't want to, you know, punishment, you know, because of the cold war and all that other stuff, which is wow. where, why we got some people in what's called project matchbook, uh, instead, well, the United States got their scientists through project, um, paperclip. 
So, you know, two different countries, two different things existed at the same war. You know, we all have a different understanding. And even our government uh, will not comment on, on, on the UFO declassified documents as well in the United States because they don't, they don't, they only comment on credible events. So that's, that's, that's their quote. <laughs> right. I'm going to ask you questions. You can say, is it real, not real, or maybe? Okay. Probably going to be maybe for all of them. Maybe for all of them. All right. Crop circles, real, not real, or maybe? Both. Both. What about super soldiers? Uh, I believe it's possible. Plausible. All right. What about alien implants? Um, Possible, but alien would need to be defined. All right. (laughs) Extraterrestrial implants and human bodies. So, so yeah, by a lot, just something from not this planet. Uh, I, yes. I believe, uh, I'm suppose it is possible because we can't confirm or deny that they exist. So let's go. So it has to exist. All right. Cattle mutilations, alien and or origin or not? Both, well, perhaps. I mean, there is there are some interesting facts. Around the uh, the incisions and and the the removal and lack of blood and some of these things, so it, it does raise some uh, flags, or it could be a really good really good surgeon who mm. can clean up its mess. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Well, they're all possibles. How do you think ships are traveling here faster than the speed of light? Do you think that they enter as another realm like the astral realm and travel at the speed of thought, or are they using wormholes? I have no idea. So with my work, um, I'm looking into what's called the ultra spectrum. So, so that's our word that we're using to describe the ether um, and, and this other place. So it could be an interdimension. It could be this realm, another space and time. However, um, so we talked a lot about UFOs, but I, I do investigate paranormal, cryptid, uh, mm-hmm. Bigfoot, and, and ghosts and alien. Like I, I do everything. I mix it all together. But what I, in consciousness, but what I've been focusing on is the experiencer and trying to understand why this experiencer is able to reach this place. So I have a variance of experiencers that have different ages, different races, uh, sorry, um, different uh, blood types, different hair color, excuse me, different eye colors that are able to see very similar things. So we'll use an, excuse me, an orb for an example. But then if I look at the methods and the approach and, uh, and of where they're seeing it, some of them have very few of them are able to take pictures of them. And then when I work with them and they do drawings, so then we have, they can, they're pulling it from their mind. Um, and then we have some drawings that we can compare to, but then a lot of the times they're not even sure if they saw it in this realm or, or another realm. So, so, so when we look deep and di- uh, deep, deeply dive into the experiencer and look at the methods in which what they were doing prior to it, we start to see a variance of uh, what we consider uninvited or invited events. Um, and that could be uninvited as an example would be during a sleep or medit- uh, like while you're sleeping. So all of a sudden you have this dream, you see something, you wake up, you think you woke up, you see all these things and that just, and then you draw this orb that you saw. Then invited would be somebody just doing a meditation or a CE5 and all of a sudden they, they see something in their mind and then they drive. So the person who draws, but the two things, two people drew the same thing. 
and I'm just using it as a, a norm as an example, but this can be also used for beings. It can also be used for crafts. It can also be used for a lot of things. So what my study shows is that these two individuals that may share the same blood type, that may share the same eye color, that may share the same uh, hair color, uh, or whatever those characteristics are, blood types that make them common, but they're able to connect to the same place. What's different about them is the method that they use to reach there. So some people can reach their subconscious, it's still the subconscious, that's where consciousness is very important to understand. So the, the reason why we can't see these things, perhaps it does exist in this other space, this ether, this ultra spectrum. And that is why we're unable to capture it. That's, on, that's why we're unable to, to get better data and we can't measure it, which makes it very difficult to prove. And, and, and it makes it a very easy for the government to deny Um and that's why it has to be possible. It can be possible. And once I'm able to determine a group sample of who is able to get to that place, then I'm going to be starting experiments with them because that would be, of course, with their consent, we all, we all, we all know about it. Um, but to me, if, if, if I'm able to narrow down the criteria for the experiencer that can make contact in theory, I have a higher chance of making contact or witnessing them making contact when we do an in-field experiment. And, and what I want to try to avoid is, is showing up to all these pre-planned events and say, Hey, let's, let's, let's try this. It's fun. Let's do a seance. Let's do these things. Well, like we'll do all these methods, but I want to do it with, with a control sample and, 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 uh, and a hypothesized sample. And then we can look at myself in terms of whether or not I see something in this realm or, or in the ultra spectrum. So I, it all has to be possible. There's just not enough data. Like, I, I don't know how to really say it. I know enough about the subject to know that I'm right, but I do not know enough to confirm if I'm wrong. Yeah. Makes sense. Quite a right. few of my guests that have had near death experiences when they're in the other realm, have encountered aliens or been to other planets. So it uh, makes me think that, you know, maybe they exist in that other realm more than they actually exist in this realm. They just pop we, in here then and we have want to, to throw check it in, out. Then you got to throw in time. Yep. So th th you can confirm that they went somewhere here physically right now, but do we know if they went to this, are they in the same space and time or did they go back? Did they go forward? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's, it's not like you can see a calendar or anything on the, uh, uh, like, and your watch doesn't change. Like, you know, you're, you're, it's, that's hard. And um, another thing too, with the consciousness, and I like to, I'm also looking at the, um, humans being responsible for because there's more evidence to suggest the possibility because of the variables i'm also looking at this as a crime element so if people are being visited or abducted some people think that's enjoyable some people uh you know that's not good for people um and the government can't do anything about it and and but or they're not willing to do anything about it i look at that as a crime so so whether you're uh, alone in your room all by yourself the door is locked. You think you're and you have this sense of security. And then all of a sudden, whether it's in your mind or in your physical room, something is there. That's an intrusion. It's an invasion of privacy. Like there's, there's a lot of criminal activity that goes on. So if it is human beings, you know, then, then, then we could link that and then people could physically be charged and they could go to jail, which also could also explain why they're being very careful about saying yes to this UFO because they would have to confess. 
So you want to look for things where they're starting to pass laws where they could be, you know, uh, free of these charges and things like that before they say yes. Uh, you know, so some of those things have happened already. But um, the point I was trying to get to is, is we don't know where our mind goes when we're sleeping. We don't know where our mind goes when we remote view. Uh, like, he, well, with remote viewing, you can, you can target. Uh, so there's a little bit of control there. So maybe I can't use that as an example, but with astral travel, near death experiences, we just know, I just can confirm that they're going to a similar place, if not the same place. And again, methods. So the strategy is we also have a, a variance of experiencers trying to make contact with ET. And then we have a, a, we have light workers out there that meditate and they spread love and they spread light and they send goodwill and good messages out there for the universe, for the people. So if, if the light worker is meditating and spreading light out into the ether and sending that positive message at the same time that someone is having a bad day and meditating and asking God or their divine or their divine for a message. And all this, how do we know that they're not, these two people aren't just communicating with each other. Does it have to be extraterrestrial? You know, and another example of that, if we look at poltergeist, poltergeist is, 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 um, you know, objects moving, uh, in this physical world. And we assume through propaganda and programming that, that it's ghost and it's apparitions and it's, it's all that, it's all that stuff in that spectrum. But what if it's us? What if we were having a very bad day and we were emotional and we just lost it. And all of a sudden those cupboards opened up because we were just really frustrated that day. And we did it because of something we thought and you don't realize it because you instantly go into a panic. And the way we measure that is when we, when we measure the experiencer, they come to us for very different ways at various different times. But what I like to do is I like to encourage them to report every experience that they ever had in their life, including UFO, aliens, Bigfoot, crypto, whatever they can think of just all. And then we investigate them separately, remove the fluff and focus on the cases that are left behind. And what I'm not, and what I'm starting to see as a trend is at an early age, there's some sort of contact event that involves a, a visitation with some extraterrestrial or craft or orb of some sort. Then later on, mid-age teenagers, you know, you know, early adolescents, whatever you want to get into, there's some paranormal activity or early presence of psychic psychic abilities. And then later on, as they get into an adult, uh, they start to get more spiritual and more connected with Earth and, and all these other things. So, is that generation shifting or is that human evolution? And yeah. and did that contact event at the very beginning? initiate this and that we just evolve as humans over time and is that what we're seeing and and and, and the problem is is with like this tower of uh, babel kind of philosophy uh in sense of even with ufology being siloed in in the mainstream we're forgetting about paranormal we're forgetting about consciousness why aren't we talking about those two but it's it's a distraction of its own but people think they're separate they think they're different which is why i investigate everything and i bring them together under the ultra spectrum because what brings these things together is the people mm -hmm. because the people label these wrong and an example that i can i've always used um as we look at a paranormal orb and a ufo orb uh can like not many people know the difference when you look at them right so but they're they're orbs or lights in the sky so we group that as a sensory display which allows um the the option for it to be seen in the mind as well as in the physical world 
because we can't confirm or deny where it's going. Just because you can't take a picture doesn't mean it wasn't in your mind. And just because yeah. it was in your mind doesn't mean it wasn't factual. If you know how to build a case, which is why investigations is important. And I will be teaching people how to do what I do because it's it, I need help. I'm going to have to switch gears with you, Ryan, because the time flew oh, by. Time just flew right by. It okay. flew by. And I want to let people know how to find you. Because, okay, well, to continue uh, that conversation. Before we, yeah, we can always continue it. But, and if people want to, you know, know more about you, you are a fellow yeah. YouTuber, you are a podcaster, you have a yeah. Facebook page. Tell us yeah, all these so places I'm where to find you. I'm everywhere that I need to be just so people could find me. So uh, the best place is tessacan.org, which is the website, www.tesacan.org. Um, that'll give you access to the YouTube channel. You'll see that you can hit subscribe. You can see some of the blogs that are there. You can see my bio on one of the pages. The website is being redone. So it's going to look a little bit nicer and easier to navigate. It's hard to navigate right now. Mm -hmm. I am on Facebook. So search Ryan Stacy, uh, I don't know, UFO paranormal investigator. I forget what it says. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. So heed the world underscore RS is uh, my Twitter handle. Heed the world is on Facebook. I've been told to use TikTok. I'm trying to figure out how I can do that. Yeah. I'm not really, I'm not really a, uh, one of those, but uh, maybe I'll find a way to get on there uh, as well. So look for that. I do have one, but I mean, I just, I just haven't figured out how to make it work. I have Instagram. I'm all over the place, but uh, I mean, the best way to, to get everything and the information is go to the website, www.tessacan.org because there is a team. There are other people. Uh, we do, we do a thing called experiencers anonymous, which is, uh, you know, run by uh, CC, uh, and, and, and our assistant with that is, is Serena, uh, Dracis, who was also an author and a blogger and a writer. So there, there, we do, I do have other members of the team that do help, um, with the other spectrums, consciousness and paranormal and all that other stuff. And we bring it all together. So the entire experience support association is there. And then I have a book, um, if you just, it's best on Amazon, just go amazon.com search Ryan Stacy UFO. It's the best way to find it, but it's called the Canadian current event survey. Uh, it's, uh, so the reporting year is 2020. I'm working on 2021 right now, which essentially is, um, freedom of information request that I, I required from the government of, of um, air traffic events that are, are strange that are categorized in U as UFOs and objects. Cause I'm trying to determine um, how many of these drones are actually drones and, and how many of these you how, how often this word UFO was used to describe, you know, kites and, and, and uh, other known things. Cause the, even the, the labels are really, uh, really silly. So I'm the guy who's trying to regulate and, and bring it all down to make it simple and easy so I can reprogram the people that are already doing what they're doing. And if they're not willing to do so, I'm also the guy who's creating a training academy so I can teach you how to do it my way and then we can be the future. Hmm. Because ufology, as far as I'm concerned, investigative-wise, it's dead. And and I, I'm investing in now because I hope for the future. And I can't guarantee without a, an absolute certainty that the United States government is going to give us the answers that we're looking for. And instead of waiting, uh, I'm building and, um, and I could use, you know, I need a team. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chat with you. Are you open to that? And if so, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah. So I'm, I try my very best to be unreachable, but I'm always needed. So 
the best way for me that I would like, I do, I do have a new program. It's called Uncharted Case Files, which is at 12 p.m. Eastern time, Mondays and Thursdays. I had a little bit of a hiccup this week, but hopefully I'll, I'll get back to normal schedule. I do share these declassified documents. I read them out to you guys, and then I explain, uh, you know, what they mean and how they, how, how they, uh, how they work in the grand scheme of things. As I'm doing my research, I'm sharing my work with you. But I do a Q and A session uh, at the end of those twice a week. Um, if you're a YouTube member, um, we do we do answer questions uh, to you guys first. But we do in this video, we do uh, I do answer everyone's questions. So I'm there until the questions run out. Um, on our podcast, Beyond the Tin Foil Hat, we do answer questions too um, for members as well. But I'm a host, so I don't want you guys to be confused that that when I'm a host and all of a sudden I'm nice and I'm not drilling and I'm not and I'm allowing things. To, to pass, it's because I'm giving free and fair speech for our guests because uh, it's also a safe environment and uh, not to be confused with this investigator that's also looking for the truth. So, All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? If you are an experiencer, know this. We believe you. Um, we may not always believe what happened to you is exactly what happened to you but we are working hard to figure out exactly what is going on to collect the best evidence so we can help you so you can help others. And so we can understand and help more people. And if more people learn um, to process this in a healthy manner, um, in a trusting manner, um, then this will, this love will spread, this love will grow and we'll start to receive better information as well. So as an investigator, um, part of me teaching you guys how to investigate the way that I do that through the experiencer uh, uh, part as well when you make a report. So tessacan.org forward slash reporting system. I work with you as the experiencer through the case so you can learn how to acquire the things that I need to give you the answer that you might already know. And as an example of that is, is I, I use you because you're doing the work and you're there. Uh, you're the best witness for that. I don't need to come to your house from that. But then through that experience, if we come to a conclusion of a known event, such as a, a light refraction, you're going to understand that. You're going to process that better. We're going to have that relationship. And then the next time you see something like that, you won't report it. But then something else will happen and you'll report that. And then we continue to work through it together until we get that one that none of us can explain. And then, and then that'll be a good quality case. And that's what we're looking for, quality over quantity. So we not only do we investigate, but we teach and we heal. So, you know, Tessa can down work. Ryan, thank you for that message. I wish you the best. Have a great thank evening. So Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.